Welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about miniatures, uh, as I've been starting to use them a little bit. I've got some phone calls, and I guess I have some news, I guess we're going to call it, about what's going on here. So let's talk minis first. When I was a kid, we did not use minis. I guess I probably saw the pictures in the Dungeon Master's Guide and in Dragon Magazine where they had, you know, for sale. We never had miniatures. I mean, we had like Star Wars figures and Legos, but we didn't play D&D with miniatures. We always played what they would call theater of the mind. That's just how we did it. It never occurred to me that miniatures could even be part of the game back then, uh, you know, in any real sense. So when I came back into D&D and now as an adult with money and started playing, I was playing fifth edition at the time. After playing for maybe a year or so, I got the mini bug and I started to buy minis and use them. And I got the dry erase mats and we were doing strategy. And basically I used minis for maybe about a year and then kind of it fell out of favor with me. I did use them for one or two very specific combats through the rest of that campaign. The campaign was like three years long, but didn't really use them. And there was a few reasons for it. One was that I felt like it slowed things down. And I say that all the minis people are going to yell at me because I was basically drawing out the hallways and moving the minis three steps at a time. And it just didn't feel like it was worthwhile. You know, you're going through the dungeon. It's like step by step by step. And I know that some people do that and really enjoy it. And I looked at Dungeon Forge and I even, uh, you know, started crafting my own dungeon tiles and stuff. But basically, I just discovered that for me, it wasn't necessary. I think two part of the thing is at that point in the game, they had reached kind of higher level. So we had been doing a lot more abstracted combat. That is to say, when they were 10th level, like I wasn't laying out a bunch of fights with goblins, right? So when they did fight, it was usually super abstracted or a major bad guy. And honestly, that didn't happen that often. The higher level they got, the less they fought. But that, that's a whole other story. Maybe that's a maybe that's a story too for a, or a conversation here. But for now, let's just talk about now. <laughs> so as you probably know, if you're listening to this podcast, I have been playing my OD&D with Chainmail game that I'm creating called Unchained. And the characters are roughly six level now. And it just hap- so happened that we be- after we had a major man-to-man combat, it occurred to me that while it worked fine in abstract, that is like theater of the mind, certain things like who was fighting who, how close people were, not that that mattered that much, and things like who could defend who. Because if you know, if you've been listening and you've read the rules, you can choose to defend somebody in my system. You could basically be like, I'm defending them, and that means that person cannot be hit, right? All their attacks go to you. But in order for that to be true, people have to be clustered together, which could be issues with like... Uh, terrain effects or spells. And so I think that the combat could use something more tactile. And for a couple of the combats, I just like put down dice, which is the tried and true method, right? Put down dice just to say what people were, and that worked fine. But a couple of my players, there was a sale going on on Hero Forge, and they posted in our little online thing, and they were like, oh, we're getting custom custom builds of our characters. And I thought, you know what? This is the time. Minis are coming back. So I went to Etsy and I got what's often called Dungeon Pizza. I know you can make your own, but basically a round. I guess they use it in uh, ICRPG is the first place I ever saw it anyways. I don't know but the roundness, but the idea of the zones. It's got like a center part, a middle part, an outside part. So it's like, so it's melee, range combat, out of combat kind of vibe. And I thought, at least this will give us a place to place the characters, even if I don't use the squares exactly right. And I haven't actually used it with that group yet, but I brought the Dungeon Pizza in. 
the couple of people who didn't own any minis, I brought in some of my minis. They could choose what they wanted for their character. So they did that. Everybody has minis now. And I brought in a bunch of just like generic guards that I'm going to kind of use as stand-ins because one of the pitfalls I found with minis, with myself anyways, is that I often do big combats and I don't have 35 or ogres, you know, so... So for me, I'm going to end up using a lot of beads and stuff like that for the bad guys, which again, when I was trying to go full mini and I had that in my mind was a bit of a turnoff. Now that I'm using it more just for placement, I don't really care that the ogres aren't ogres. So we'll see how this goes. But I got the minis. I got the dungeon pizza. Everybody's excited. We put it down on the table. It was actually that made him nervous at first because they were like, hold on. Are we in that tower already? Because they were talking about going to a tower. I'm like, no, no, it's just round for this reason. I explained it. And uh, we went forward. But... This ties into something else, so we're going to now get into a little announcement, I guess. So I've been running, although none of it's gone live yet, unless you're on my Patreon, a solo OD&D campaign. You'll start to see it go live on my actual play channel. I will put a link to that channel in the show notes here. And I think the, Friday, the first video goes live Friday. I'm using Outdoor Survival. I'm using my OD&D hack. But you won't see this right away because I literally just did it last night. So it's only recorded, not edited. I busted out the dungeon pizza and I had a battle with some giant spiders and miniatures. And I got to tell you, it was really fun. It was nice to align the miniatures up. Like, right, they're forming a line to protect the magic users and like actually have people move up and do it and say, oh, you know what? Those spiders couldn't be in Malay, so they might be available to be hit with a bow, that kind of stuff. So I got to say, I think I'm selling myself on using miniatures. So that's pretty cool. So like I said, in the show notes, I'll put a link to the uh, actual play channel. And I'm not going to put links to like the dungeon pizza and all that stuff because that'll be on the actual play video because I'm terrible at putting links. Uh, if I can get the link to the actual play, that'll be good. <laughs> Speaking of links and other things going on, Dungeon 23 is happening, or Hashtag Dungeon 23, or City 23, or Hexcrawl 23, or Ice Cream Parlor 23, all the different 23s that are happening that will all fade away by about mid-February, I'm sure. So we'll see on Valentine's Day if people are still drawing a room a day. Anyways, uh, <laughs> not to be negative, I just think it's funny. Everybody always gets involved in these things. I mean, a year-long project, that's a lot for a lot of people. But anyways, Dungeon 23 is a dealio, and I have had, I guess, for the longest time, although I never really posted anything on it, a blog. So I've decided to start putting my Dungeon 23 stuff on the blog. I will be posting it like once a week, and I'll talk a little bit about it after the first post goes live, which I guess the first post did go live. So let me talk a tiny bit about how I'm going to do it. So the way that I'm doing my Dungeon 23, at least for the first month, I'm going to kind of switch it up as I go. Number one, I'm not going to create a the way it's designed which is 30 rooms a month or whatever it is for one level blah 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 i'm going to create individual seven room basically areas that will interconnect so i'm not going to go straight up like one sprawling dungeon because i don't like that if you uh if you watch my video on mega dungeons i'm not a huge fan of massive massive spaces like that i like lots of hallways and like kind of spaces in between the rooms but as far as like actual rooms that have stuff in it I feel like I don't want 30 things on one room, on one level. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to basically create these individual seven room sections and they will interconnect. Some will be slightly higher, some will be lower. There'll be like stairs, like half levels and stuff like that. So that's kind of what I'm doing there. But forgetting about the structure of it for a second, the way I'm doing it for myself is every day on my notebook, I'm drawing a room. I'm not connecting any of the rooms yet. I'm just kind of drawing them. What inspires me when I sit down, like this morning, I drew a round room. I just decided I'm going to draw a round room. And I'm just kind of placing them on the the, the space. I mean, I'll say at random because it's only a couple of days that I've been working on it. But, you know, as I keep going further in the week, I'll put them where it seems like it makes sense. And then I'm also at the same time making a room description. I'm not assigning the rooms to the spaces yet. 
and I'm going to wait till the end of the week so I can make it kind of be a little bit more cohesive. Like I like wild, but I don't think an entire random space will work for me, at least as far as I like to design stuff. So I've created a D10 uh, table for myself. One, monster. Two, monster and treasure. Three, the room's absolutely empty. We'll see how that works out. Four is weird. And for this, I'm going to use Donjon and look at things like they've got like a goblin uh, graffiti. And there's also a site called Total Party Kill that has a I've used it a bunch of times before. Basically, it's like a dungeon with X number of rooms. And when you click on it, it basically just makes a bunch of weird like statements. Like this morning, I got uh, a dozen cats barking or something like that. So that's weird. Uh, then five is trap. Six is trick. Seven is going to be a portent or a sign. I'm going to also probably get most of those from Donjon. Eight is roll twice. And then nine is monster. And ten is just treasure. So basically, if they roll ten, there's a 10% chance they'll just get treasure. There's about a 20% chance they'll have a monster. There's a 20% chance total that there'll be treasure. And uh, I don't think that completely tracks perfectly with the way that's supposed to work. But I think that's pretty good for the first level. We'll see how it kind of works out. So far, I've got some interesting stuff. The very first room had... 300 silver pieces and a potion of diminution. So to me, that tells me we're getting a little Alice in Wonderland here, you know, <laughs> which is another reason why I'm not assigning them right away because I don't necessarily want that right at the very beginning. So if you do want to follow it day by day, I'm just posting not the pictures, but I'm just posting the the room, like a brief statement about each room uh, on my Discord. So if you're not part of the Discord, jump into the show notes and you can join up there. I'll also have a link as mentioned to my solo play channel or my actual play channel if you're not familiar with that and also a link to my blog and we have some calls both from direct son and jason so let's listen to those and we'll see what they got to say hey daniel it's direct son i just wanted to talk for a minute on what you said about uh any adventure could be made for any level uh and while i think that you can definitely adjust the stats and get everything going I think there are some adventures that are not suited for other levels. Um, an example that was brought up recently uh, was a murder mystery for a 20th level party. If they have access to the body, the, the body and uh, the spell Speak With Dead, that might spoil everything right there, which is fine. Um, it's just a lot shorter adventure than you thought it was going to be and maybe not uh, challenging in the ways that you thought it would be. Uh, which is fine. Players do their own thing. Uh, but, I mean, that's the big problem that I see is the party's access to spell resources, class resources at higher levels, which will negate many or all of the challenges of the uh, module. But if you know that going forward, then that's fine. You know, you got your own sandbox. You're coming up with other challenges on the fly. But I think a lot of people, when they're reading the module there thinking like you know i'm gonna get a bunch of these challenges out of there so yeah that's my two coppers catch you later not that it's impossible to make the conversion for my example with the corpse they may not know who killed them right they may have been uh murdered from behind so they have no valuable information or maybe a smaller clue to give to the party right but the party i mean the dm ideally has to think about all these access to magic and resources beforehand and, you know, determine which challenges they want to remain challenges for the 
the players and which challenges they want to have be, you know, more of a resource drain on them and, and not that, uh, not the same kind of challenge. Like things could come up mid play and you want them to be able to have access to their hard earned abilities, but you still want, you know, the overall feel of the module. Like, let's say you have a portcullis challenge and you want to show something that the players want beyond the portcullis. They need to find something to open the portcullis or whatever. It's stuck. Can't do it. Um, you know, what if someone can shape change? What if someone can has a familiar? They could just send them on in, go come back out with it. Sure, the DM could say, oh, actually, it's a wall of force. So uh, it requires another um, something or other to, to get by or, or around. Or, I mean, you know, you don't even need to consider these. You just run it as is and uh, whatever they come up with stands. Uh, I just overthink things because of the way I am and the way that I design things. And, um, you know, I may just be talking too much about this. All right. All right. Well, that was direct son. Thank you for that call. Yeah. Well, you are exactly right. Of course. Um, and I think I kind of said that to Jason because I don't know if I did before or after, if you, if you heard that podcast and my reply back to Jason was that. I think that you need to be wary, right? So if, for instance, you do have a, a, let's say, a dragon, which is what I mentioned there, in a module, let's say, for eighth-level characters, and then you run it for first-level characters, and you lower the power of the dragon so that it's possible for them to defeat it, you need to be clear that this was a very small, weak dragon, and that's why you were able to defeat it at first level. So don't think that every dragon in the world is going to be that easy. Because if you don't, then it's going to set up weird expectations, it's funny, as you were saying, the murder mystery thing, I thought, you know, and this is a bit of a spoiler. If you haven't read or played The Assassin's Knot, you want to skip forward to 1520. I'll just go through it really quickly. So in The Assassin's Knot, that's exactly what happens. Basically, there is a murder and there is a reason why. I cannot remember the reason, so it's not that much of a spoiler. I think it's because they just don't see the person where the speak with dead spell just doesn't work. And... I think the person's been dead long enough that the raid... No, that's not true. I don't know why they don't use the raised dead spell. There's a reason. But I mean, that's something you can actually just do, right? You could just be like, well, the they don't want to come back. Or some kind of thing that just destroys their soul, and then they couldn't do it either. Either way, so it really just depends. You could make a small change. I mean, I would consider that a small change. So to me, saying, okay, the assassin used a special spell that actually destroys the the person like or like if you think of like a black razor or something like that where they destroy your soul when they kill you maybe there's a special dagger or there was a poison that like when somebody dies from it their soul is actually destroyed you know that's assuming that you want to set it so that they won't know they can't use those spells and they won't know who killed the person it kind of comes down to the what i've done so yes i mean you would have to make a change now a major change would be something like well, you know, the instead of the assassin being this like third level thief, it was a lich, right? I feel like then you're losing the flavor of the adventure. So, yeah, I 100% agree with you. I guess I don't run that high level and I don't worry about that because I don't run that high level. So I guess I'd never think about it. But 100% what you're saying is true. You have to decide like, well, is it even worthwhile? Like, why would a 20th level party want to go in here? And if you're running a 20th level adventure and there are a bunch of porkluses or whatever like let's say you're running you know an adventure like you say where it falls down they get trapped then yeah you just got to change it to something where because what is a porkluses falling down right it's basically a challenge that's going to eat up the resources so for a low level party the resource is time probably 
and maybe if they have asset or something, right? But very likely that's all it's going to be is time. It's going to be a bunch of them trying to open up the pork list and there's going to be probably a random monster check or two, which means that at low levels that's super dangerous. Whereas, you know, random monsters running around, you know, a random, you know, even unless it's a Tarrasque or something, a random monster running around is not going to bother a 20th level character. So for the 20th level character, what it's eating up is something like Wall of Force that, you know, was, let's say that's cast by a 30th level magic user. So they can't just instantly dispel magic it. And they have to either use a teleport spell, which is high level, or possibly disintegrate. They can't just get rid of the wall of force, right? That would be my my thought there. So that what you gave were perfect examples of how you could handle it. That being said, and, and you make kind of an interesting point at the end, and maybe this comes down to the, like design philosophy, right? Is like, what do you want to challenge? If you're designing the adventure and you want it to challenge the players in a certain way, well, then that's something completely different. If you are taking an adventure that's already written and you want it to challenge the players a certain way, then you just got to make the changes. And And I'm not saying it's easier. It's actually easier to go the other way. <laughs> I think it's easier to make a higher level adventure doable for low level characters than the opposite. Because I think that making a low level adventure doable for high level characters, especially extremely high level characters, you're really, you know, high level characters, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't even, I don't play, I don't play 20th level, but I assume that a 20th level character is not like, going through a dungeon looking for something that's behind a porkless, right? It's just not the kind of adventure they'd go on. So if I was going to do that at all, I would maybe do something like, okay, you can't get to this place because it's too far away. Um, so you're going to mine, you're going to shift your mind into this body of these other people that are already there. Maybe that don't have all the hit points and stuff that you do. You can still use some of your spells. Maybe, I mean, I don't know. You can do it. Maybe you can come up with any kind of idea. So there's ways to challenge. In fact, if I was running a, a 20, now I'm just like spitballing here. If I was running a 20th level adventure uh, or party rather, and maybe they'd want a break from that. You know, I ran this adventure called uh, Thulian Echoes. And what happens in this adventure is basically you run it twice. The first time the, and this is not a spoiler really. The first time the party plays as basically adventurers in the past and they go through this dungeon and they map it and they make notes. And whatever notes they make and whatever map they make is the map that they find at the beginning of the adventure for their characters. So basically they go in with their own notes and it's really fun to run. And when you do that, they get to play a different set of characters. So you can have, and that's exactly what I did. They played like first level, very weak characters in the, the adventure. But then when they went in with their characters, they were higher level. So that some of the stuff they were really, they would just stomp on. But what's funny is of course they didn't really know that. So in my, I had a great group. They played it out like, oh no, this map says this is crazy deadly, so we have to treat it like it's crazy deadly, even though for the high-level party, it really wouldn't have been. So that was a whole lot of ramble to say, thank you for calling in. That's You make a really good point. And I, I think what Jason's point was, they're both very good points. Jason's point is don't wait. Not to speak for Jason, but I feel like Jason's point was don't wait. If you have a module you want to run, just adjust it and run it for the group you have. Don't say, well, I'm going to wait till they get to 10th level or wait till I start a new campaign. Just make it work if you want to run it, because that's totally doable in most cases. And your point is, I think, is you need to be wary of what the challenge is supposed to be. If the challenge is it takes three weeks to cross this, you know, uh, chasm because I got to climb down and do all this other stuff, but everybody in the party can fly and they can get across in 10 minutes, then yeah, that's not much of a challenge. And that's really probably not the right adventure to run. Speaking of Jason, we got a couple calls from him. Hey, Daniel, Jason here. Paused after you're talking about dragons on your latest podcast on Dragon Breath and Superheroes, I think. I don't know. The title's cut off on the screen of my car. But 
I like what you're doing with dragons. I like the idea of some, oh, damage will always be done. I don't know that I'm totally sold on hit points instead of hit dice, but that works for your table, and that's what you should be doing. I, I wonder if there's not a way to balance that, to have lingering injuries and have things and still keep the hit die system. I, I do wonder that because I, I don't know. I, maybe it's just I'm, I'm trying to hold on to the hit die thing irrationally. But I do really like what you're doing with dragons. As far as feedback on doing dragon minus four or minus three for the younger dragons, honestly, I, I think you need to play test the combats. You need to play test it and see. Without actually going through combats, I, I can't give you meaningful feedback on that. Okay, let me get back to your show. So, I don't have a big problem with your adjusting the hero superhero levels either. I think that makes sense, and from what you're saying, it's really only going to affect the fantasy combat table. And it makes sense that the magic user should be more effective on the fantasy combat table than the cleric, because they're, you know, using occult spells and arcane spells and all. I see what you're saying with the hit point negative, or I'm sorry, the save and throw problem with the clerics. But like you say, I don't think it's a big problem. And I would look at maybe giving them bonuses or maybe you give them bonus. I don't know. You have to look at it, right? So maybe against undead or demons, maybe they get a bonus. I, I don't know. But yeah, I don't think that's a big problem. The cleric is a super powerful character anyway. I think they have low experience point requirements as much because people don't want to play them as anything, <laughs> to be honest. But no, it sounds exciting. I, I really like this change. Okay, let me listen to your response to calls. All right, that was Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. So a couple things to unpack there. We'll do the last thing first while it's on my mind. Yeah, the clerics. You know, I think that you might not be wrong about the whole fighting demons. That could just be a class feature, too, that maybe they can fight demons. The only undead that are really on the fantasy combat by the time the cleric would be able to fight them, like fourth level or whatever, if they did let them fight it there, they can turn them. So I guess they already have that going for them. So they could just turn the undead, which is an interesting thing. Perhaps clerics can fight against evil creatures on the fantasy combat table at the number that they would use to turn, if that makes sense. So if they try to turn them and they fail, they can then battle them by trying to, you know, turn, if you will, every round. And if they succeed... They just cause damage. They don't actually, the creature doesn't flee because they failed the first time. I don't know, something like that. I'm just, now I'm spitballing. I lost spitballing today. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think that people don't want to play clerics, maybe. I feel like that's a modern phenomenon, but I could be wrong about that. I, I think that people don't want to play clerics because they become what people call heel, heel bots now. But I don't know, maybe it's just groups I play with, but we always have somebody play a cleric and nobody ever feels like, oh, I have to play a cleric. Because they've got some, especially in OD&D. I mean, I had one one player who's lost three three characters now. They they, they just kept making more clerics. They were like, "Oh, I like clerics, so whatever." I mean, I think they just like playing the character. They, weirdly, though, they didn't play up the religious part. So I don't know if they just like the spell casting combined with the fighting, which I guess you get with an elf as well if you go that way. But clerics, like you say, have a low uh, experience point threshold, and they're also easier to qualify for. Going back to the other thing, though, with the dragons, you know, right? I, I'm with you. I went through this period. And I literally sat in my kitchen and drank like half a cup pot of coffee, having a conversation about the idea of getting rid of the hit points. Because honestly, I'm not a huge fan of hit points. I really have embraced the hit dice. And I think the hit dice just work better for me. And the reason why I think they work better for me is the same reason why I'm keeping hit points versus 
uh, lingering injuries. <laughs> and that is because hit dice are way more abstract. At least at my tables that I've played at in my you know, gaming history, if you want to call it that, when people are injured, that is, we're using hit points, they get hurt, they're knocked down until you know they have they have 20 hit points, they're knocked down to five hit points. So they're really hurt, right? They don't generally act any differently. And the rules don't make them act differently. So why should they, right? I think that oftentimes right after a combat, they're like, oh, I'm all beat up, or you know, that kind of thing, especially if they want healing, if they if you're playing in a game that's healing. But you know, really, they just forget, right? They're just like, well, whatever, I'm at five hit points, I'm I'm adventuring, I'm not worrying about it. So the abstraction of using the hit dice instead of hit points works for me there because that's just how we play anyways, right? And now to go back to the hit points with the dragons, the reason why I like hit points over lingering injuries is the exact same reason. I guess if you dig into it, like I know that it seems like Taylor is doing, and uh, if I can remember, I'll put a link to that Cerebrivore where we talked about it uh, down here in the show notes. You know, he's basically doing this thing where if you get hit and you're 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 going to die, you roll on this chart and like there's a, ch- a big chance that you die. But the other chance is that you take an injury and those injuries are often things like it slows you down your speed or that kind of thing or reduces your attacks. I can't remember all of them. And I say this having made my own injury versus death charts and have, having run campaigns using them. Players don't like that they're slowed down or they can't use their left hand or they can't at least not long term. They don't mind it for a short session, you know, one or two sessions, they get back to town, then like you cut forward in time, it's gone. But if you're running a campaign, it's like constant, making people wait months, you know, to heal, which would be realistic, is kind of not great, in my opinion, at least as far as the way I like to play. Letting them heal too fast doesn't make sense either, because now you're you're explaining why you're so detailed about the fact they got stabbed through the hand and couldn't hold their sword but now they're healed in a week. And it's like, well, why does that make sense? Where hit points are already abstract. So <laughs> it's whatever it is, you know, you're beat down, your luck is worn, you're, you've got some scarring and you can just make it whatever you want. It's just flavor. And I think that's why I'm keeping hit points for things like dragon breath, for poison, some other stuff, some spell stuff as well, because it obviously for man-to-man combat, because I love the intensity of man-to-man Especially, like I say, with the miniatures and stuff now, I really like this idea that when you're fighting in man-to-man combat, you are truly getting hurt. So that when you get down to, you know, half your hit points, you you should be role-playing that because you're hurt. I mean, again, I'm still not going to make it a mechanical thing, but anyways, that's where I stand right now. And I am kind of with you, though. In an Unchained, the pure Unchained game, the one where you just play heroes, there's only hit dice. No hit points in that game, nothing like that. I love the idea of hit dice. I love the idea of you're either up or down, this like binary state. I think the game plays better for me that way. It really allows people to just be really heroic. And then suddenly, they're not. And such is the life of heroes. That one stray arrow, that dagger that slips through the folds in your armor, that two-handed sword that cleaves your head from your neck. That's all that matters. Not all those little cuts that lead up to it. Thanks, Direct Sun and Jason, for calling in. I will put links in the show notes to there stuff. I will also uh, put links to the things I said earlier, which I've already forgotten what they are, if I can remember to do it. (laughs) I'm terrible at putting links. I'm so sorry. I'm getting better at it, I think. But I would love to hear from you. You know, you can go ahead and call the show. Just click on the little anchor webpage dealio and you can send a message. Or you could do like Direct Sun and Jason did and send me a message on Discord. If you're on a Discord that I'm on, like Clerics Wear Ringmail or Audio Dungeon, you can just seek me out. If not, and you'd like to join a new Discord, uh, my Discord will be, a link to my Discord, I should say, will be in the show notes. 
go ahead and join up over there. We're having a lot of fun. We have a Dungeon 23 room uh, as well. So if you're doing that contest and you want to contest a challenge, you can do that. And what else? Oh, right. I also have Patreon. If you're interested in supporting the channels, I do appreciate it. And you can find that link as well. I'll talk to you soon.